I want to welcome you all here to Central Community Church. Just glad that you are here with us this morning. I want to say a very special, very happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are here with us. It is a joy to be able to celebrate uh, with you this morning. Well, before I, uh, before I dismiss the kids, I have one, one thing I want to let all the kids know about, uh, and the parents as well, but especially kids coming up this summer. All right, coming up this summer, there is going to be a soccer camp that we are going to have here up in Promontory on the field. So it's going to be July 22nd till the 26th, and it's going to be 6.30 till 8.30 in the evening. So this is going to be in the evening because no one really wants to play soccer in the middle of the day when it's smoking hot and you're dying out on the field. No, you want to wait till later on. So we're going to do this in the evening. It'll be after work, parents, so you can actually come hang out with the kids and help out with this soccer camp as well. So we want this to be a time for all of our kids, and we want to invite the community to come and join us, have an awesome time, work on some soccer skills, actually run a few drills, play some games, and hear a little bit about what Jesus has done. And so uh, what I'd like for you to know, parents especially, is to, to kind of reserve that week, and if you can, to actually come and help out at this camp. Right? So if you want to just come out and play some soccer with kids, that would be awesome. We would love to have you come be a coach for the week in the evening, 6.30 till 8.30. But if you're here and you're like, I don't want to kick a soccer ball, that would be a horrible idea. That's fine, actually. We need a lot of people who can help out with other things, right? We need people who can help sign in registrations, water bottles, snacks, and uh, do a devotional story time afterwards. So there's a lot of opportunities to get involved. And so I just want to let you know that this is coming up July 22nd. I know it feel, feels like a long way away from now but it'll come fast, July 22nd till the 26th. So if you're able to help, come talk to me. You can put your name down at the welcome desk. Let us know that you are able to come and help out. It's after work. It's a little bit easier, not quite as much of a time commitment. So I want to encourage you to get involved with that. It's going to be a great way for us just to share uh, awesome time with our neighbors and also share a little bit about what Jesus has done. All right. Well, kids, with that being said, I'm going to dismiss you uh, to go to Kids Church. You can follow Daniel right through uh, the back doors and down to your Sunday school classrooms. All right. Well, if you are new with us, I just want to extend really special welcome. Uh, we are so glad you're here. Hopefully on the seat next to you or yours, uh, you'll find a little welcome card. You can fill that out, drop it off in the offering basket as it comes along. It's just a way for us to get connected with you, let you know a little bit more about what we do here at Central. All right. Well, a couple things just to make you aware of this morning. Uh, one you may already know uh, this weekend is our Compassion experience that is happening down at our Chilliwack campus. So uh, Compassion is a ministry that we work with as a church. Uh, they sponsor kids in developing countries and actually work with local communities to actually be able to support and see these kids uh, grow, raised, actually be taken care of. And so uh, you can go down to our Chilliwack campus, and they have a whole tent trailer, huge thing set up. You can walk through. You can actually see what it's like to live in some of these countries and hear some of the stories of the children who've been impacted by this ministry. So that's happening today and tomorrow down at our Chilliwack campus. Please go check it out. Uh, as well, coming up in um, just a little a little while on May 31st is the Ordinary Extraordinary Women's Event. 
So the Ordinary Extraordinary Women's event on May 31st is going to be at 7 o'clock. It is a, a campfire time of fellowship, stories, singing together. It'll be a great time just to get together as women to hear what God does, the extraordinary things He does in ordinary life. And so I want to encourage you uh, just to get involved with that. Uh, Lois is going to be leading uh, worship. You might know her. She comes here, and uh, she's going to be leading worship around the campfire. It'll be an awesome time. If you want to register, just email Pastor Jessica. She'll give you all the details, where it is, and uh, what's going to be happening. All right. Well, with that being said, let me invite Eddie to come forward. Uh, Eddie, as you may know, is one of the elders here at uh, Central. And uh, Eddie, you are going on a pretty special trip uh, this Saturday. Is that right? Yes. This coming Saturday, I'm right. uh, heading to Africa. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing and uh, how we can be praying for you. Sure. Uh, you can pray for my sanity because I actually signed up to do this thing uh, <laughs> it's the second time. Uh, what is happening is that the Schultz family have been missionaries of our, sent from our church uh, in Burundi, uh, which is a little tiny landlocked country in East Africa uh, between Tanzania and Rwanda and the Congo. And they've been working there for the last five years. And they're returning now. And uh, one of the final kind of projects and some of the ongoing projects that are happening there uh, that Tyler and Cheryl have been involved with uh, has been, one, to get our church partnered with a local church there uh, in planting a new campus, much like we've done here. And so I'm going to actually meet with their lead pastor and have some time of encouragement and sharing and that kind of thing. Uh, So that's one of the things we're going to be doing is meeting with some local leaders there and talking and sharing about what God's doing in our communities. And then the other thing is we're raising money by uh, insanely signing up to bicycle our, our bikes around the country of Rwanda, 800 kilometers over seven days. Um, I don't know why I signed up the second time to do that, but it's going to be painful. I can, you can trust me. You don't have to go there yourselves to find that out. But uh, we're, we're suffering in the name of a good cause, and the good cause is to uh, raise funds for a group uh, th- that's run through MB Mission, now called Multiply, that is called the Transforming Burundi Network. It's basically a school for pastors and church leaders in the country of Burundi. And uh, it sort of basically teaches them, like, skills for community building, uh, improving their faith life, and how to make a difference in their community in a really meaningful and practical way. Uh, I have seen firsthand sort of the impact of that, and it's tremendous organization. Um, The money we raised last time has basically run out now. So that's been three years. We raised about $20,000 last time. And so we're raising money this time. Uh, We're about... I think we're about six, seven thousand dollars right now, and uh, yeah, we're we're uh, raising money for that, and and uh, we're going to bring back things like coffee and stuff to sell, and and that kind of thing. So, anything else you want to know? Oh, that's great. That's great. So, yes, please be in prayer for Eddie and for Tyler as they go do this trip. As you cycle way too long and way too far, uh, it's going to be good. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we'll we'll be praying for you guys. Uh, Let me invite our, our ushers to come forward, receive our offering as well. Uh, And let me pray for you as well. It is Mother's Day. So let me pray for all of the mothers who are here as well. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much. Oh, Lord, you have blessed us abundantly. You have given us everything that we have. And so, Father, I I just pray um, 
as those who live in such a, a wealthy place, when in comparison to, to Burundi and, and many of our brothers and sisters who are there, oh, Lord God, would, would You give us the ability to, to be able to support uh, those around the world? Father, for, for Eddie and for Tyler, as they go on this trip, would You bless them? Would You keep them safe as they go through this journey? But more, Lord God, w- would You be at work among the churches there? Would there be a, a continual revival of hearing Your gospel, of loving Your Word, of seeing the impact of Jesus upon lives and communities and nations, Lord God? I just pray, would this be just another uh, step towards seeing the churches in that area thrive. Lord, I thank You for this ministry. I thank You for our partnership there uh, for many years of being able to be fruitful and to encourage one another and provide for one another. And so, Lord, I pray, might this also uh, be given for Your glory. Lord, this morning, it is Mother's Day, and we uh, cherish, Lord, we cherish the mothers that You have given to us. The Bible commands us to honor our mother and father, and so, Lord, this morning we want to do exactly that. Father, thank You for the mothers who have sacrificed so much of their time, their energy, uh, Lord, their sanity at times to be able to to give to us, to uh, bless us. Lord, we are here because um, You have given us mothers, and so, Father, we thank You for that. We honor the mothers who are here this morning. Lord, we also recognize this is a challenging time at the same moment. Lord, we live in a world that is covered in sin, and we live at a time where we still see that that plague of death on our lives. Father, we recognize that today is a reminder of, of those that we've lost, of the dreams that perhaps didn't come true. Father, I pray You are the God of all compassion. You are the God of all mercy and grace. And so, Lord, might today be the day where we see Your goodness shine through, that in You we lack nothing. So, Father, I pray, would You bless us this day. Lord, as we give back in our offering, might it come from joyous hearts, glad to be able to give to what You do in this place. Oh, Father, we ask these things in Your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. All right. Well, this morning, uh, we are taking a little bit of a break from our regular sermon series. If you've been with us, we have been walking through the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Uh, But this morning, what we're going to be doing is actually going to the book of Titus, almost at the opposite end of your Bible. So if you have a Bible, I can invite you to open there. We're going to be in Titus chapter 3 this morning. And you might be tempted to say, well, oh, this is going to be a Mother's Day sermon then, right? Because we're taking a break on Mother's Day. And you're wrong. It's not. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's not a specific Mother's Day sermon. In many ways, it, it does actually apply to motherhood. You see, what Paul is calling the church to do here in this passage is to be ready for good works, to prepare themselves to be able to do good works among their communities and among uh, their churches. And actually, as I thought about it, what's a better example of someone being prepared than a mom, right? My My own mother is a great example. Growing up, whenever I needed something, it seemed like my mom had it in her purse, right? That thing just seemed to have absolutely everything I could want. If I needed a snack, if I was bored, if I needed to 
I think she even had like a Swiss army knife in there in case something else had to happen. She was a nurse, so she had medical stuff in there. I mean, it was, it was always this never-ending supply. My mom was prepared for anything. Right? Now, that actually has a lot to do with her, her character, her personality. Right? She is uh, the one who is actually prepared when things go wrong. You know how they're always telling us that there's going to be this massive earthquake that's coming. It's going to hit BC, right? Everything's going to fall down. Richmond is going to be wiped out. All of that. My mom is actually prepared for that, right? She actually has food and water and all this stuff in case the place gets leveled. She'll be okay, right? Now, now please don't get the wrong idea. She doesn't have a bomb shelter or anything crazy like that. She just has stuff stored away. Why? Because she actually thought about it in advance, thought this is what I'm going to probably need, and actually did something about it. See, the truth is I usually get to those first two steps. I'll think about it, that's probably what I need, and then I do nothing, right? But my mom actually is the one who says, no, I, I'm going to be prepared. And I think mothers in general just seem to do this well. It's probably from years of, of practicing that with your own children, right? If you talk to a mom who's going anywhere with her kids, let's say, coming to church, you're probably having to think about, well, clothes. Are they actually dressed? Are my kids properly dressed? They have all the things that they should be having on. Uh, you might need a change of clothes if you're going somewhere afterwards. You might need extra diapers. You might need wipes. You might need snacks. You might need toys. You might need… And the list goes on and on and on. And see, moms in general take time to think through all of those things every time you leave the door. You're used to this idea, getting prepared to do something right. Because you've probably experienced what happens when you're not. It doesn't go well. In fact, that's really what Paul is talking about this morning. He's calling the church, be ready to do good works, and he wants to invite them, call them. Actually, that's what you need to do. Get yourself prepared for it. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to follow along. Titus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Follow along with me. This is what the Word of God says. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is as far as we'll read this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank You. Lord, we thank You that You work in us. Lord, that when we were far away from You, You came to us. You saved us. 
Father, I, I, I pray, would you be working in our hearts, would you be conforming our lives so that we might display you well, that we might be ready for any and all good works that you call us to. Father, I pray, might this be the cry of our heart this morning in your name, amen. Amen. Well, we, we are really kind of jumping to the end of a book here, right? We, we're going right to the end of this book of Titus. And so, let, let's just kind of back up for a moment and just understand what is going on here, all right? This is, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to one of his students, right? Titus was one of his sort of apprentices. And so, what had happened is uh, Paul had raised him, or not raised him, but taught him, right? Trained him to go off into ministry, and he had. Titus had left Paul, and he had gone into uh, Crete, which is an island off the coast of Greece, right? It seems like a pretty nice place to get a ministry assignment, to go into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and enjoy island life. That seems pretty nice. But actually, as he gets there, he realizes the church has a lot of problems. There's a lot of things going on, and so Titus writes to Paul and says, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with what's all going on? And so what we're reading here this morning is Paul's response. This is Paul writing back to his student saying, here are the things you need to work on with these churches. And so really what this letter is, it's a description of what the church is to look like, how it's to function, how it should be put together. And so in chapter 1, he kind of starts off with, with the leaders of the church, the elders. What are they to look like? He says they are to be men who are above reproach, right? They are to be qualified, and he lists all of their character qualities of these elders and what they are to do. Right? It's the reason we have elders here at Central. It's the reason that we ask that you actually assess our elders when we're looking to nominate them because we want them to be above reproach, that no one can actually bring a charge against them. And so Paul describes what that is to look like, and then he says, now in the church, how are you to act? He says, in the church, chapter 2, you are to have older men teaching younger men older women teaching younger women. Train them up in a way so that they can understand the faith, so that they can carry it on as well. That's how the church is to function. It's meant to be multi-generational. One of the things I love seeing is when you have grandparents, parents, and children all worshiping together in the same church. That's a beautiful picture of what the church is to look like. It's meant to be all generations working together to build themselves up to glorify God. And so then it comes to chapter 3, where we've just read. And, and Paul then turns from how the church is to work with one another to then how the church is to be seen in the outside world. How should the church react to those around them? How are they to conduct themselves? And so this morning, he is calling the church Actually, be known for your good works. Let your character be known to those around you. And so this morning, that's exactly what I want us to look at. But, but more important for Paul than just merely the command is asking the question, why? Why should you do any of that? Why should you bother with these good works? Why should you be ready for that? And Paul actually spends most of this passage giving the explanation as to why that is. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at his instructions, the reason that he gives, and then what that means for us. 
So we're going to start right at the beginning. What are the commands He gives? And really, I've just called this the Christian life. This is what Christians are to look like outside of the walls of the church. It's not to be different than what we are inside, but how are we to show what we look like? Look back at verse 1 with me. Paul says, remind them, remind the church to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul starts off and says, look, I'm going to tell you to remind them what I've already taught them. This is nothing new. This isn't brand new information. Rather, remind them they are to be submissive to authorities. You might say, that's not where I would have started. (laughs) That wasn't the first thing that was going to come off the top of my head. But what's so interesting here is not just simply that he starts there, but actually the way that he frames that. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, just blindly obey them. Just do whatever the authorities, the rulers say. No, actually he says, be submissive to them. Actually, he's looking not at the action, he's looking at the character of the person. He's saying the character ought to then define the action, yes, but he's starting. It is not that you are starting out with this antagonistic approach to those who have authority over you. Actually, you are to be submissive. In Romans, uh, Paul writes, he gives a bit of a justification, a reason for why, that, why Christians ought to do that. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul says, look, the reason that Christians are to submit, why? It's because actually the rulers, the authorities, those who are in power over you are put there by God. Therefore, when you are rebelling against them, you're rebelling against God. Now, hear me. This is not to say that Christians should be walking with Hitler into the gas chambers. No, clearly that's not what this is intending to be. Rather, it's a posture issue. Are you starting out saying, actually, I I am going to be submissive to those who are around me, or am I going to be attacking and going after them? See, it's by no accident that Paul then follows that up and says, now speak evil of no one, because how often is that exactly the case, where we disagree with someone who has authority and we start speaking very, very poorly about them, right? We start slandering them. We start calling them to do all kinds of things. Rather, Paul says, that's not what you are to be like. You are to be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one right? Avoid quarreling. Show perfect courtesy towards others. See, it's a tone of respect to those around us, not only those in authority, but others that we speak to. It's a posture of humility towards others, not looking down on them, but rather with humility considering their own good. And hear me, we need to take this to heart, because it causes me pain every time I I go onto Facebook or social media, whatever, and I see someone who's a Christian start just posting all kinds of ridiculous articles blasting those who are in authority over us. 
Look, I'm not saying you can't disagree with whatever politician you can, but do so in a way that is respectful, that is charitable, that is showing courtesy to them as they have been placed there by God. I think we do a very big disservice when we start, when we start arguments online about all kinds of things. So often, dialogue like that just devolves into name-calling and horrible, just unhelpful speech. We start speaking evil of others. That is not how the church should be known. We should be known as those who do have a posture of humility, those who do have a posture of respect towards others. Why? It's because, actually, that shows what God has done for us. See, we're called to go out and bless those around us. Too often, the church has simply become this in-cell little cluster, right? As if we're only supposed to care about ourselves and no one outside. Now, clearly, Paul has a word for building up the church. All of chapter 2 is looking, build up the church, let one another grow in the faith, yes, but that's not opposed to doing good for others. It's not opposed to having uh, a good reputation in the community. Actually, it's the logical outworking of our faith. The logical outworking is that as the leaders God has given to the church leads well and we disciple and work together to build one another up in the faith so we are to then serve others around us, that's what the church is to look like. Paul says, that is what you are called to do so that others might see the gospel at work. See, that's exactly what Paul goes on to say. See, if you look, Paul begins to give a reason for why the church ought to act like this. Verse 3, he starts with this little word, for, right? Here's the command, here's what you are to do, for, here's your reason, and then he says, verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, Paul begins this section, this, this gospel reason for why we ought to be doing good works, and he starts off and he says, it's because we ourselves were once foolish. You see, you can imagine someone was going to ask the question to Paul, Paul, I know you're saying that, and, and we ought to be courteous towards others, but have you heard my neighbor? Right? He has the TV on way too loud all night. It's horrible. I hear him out in the backyard, and he's swearing, cursing. There's smoke wafting over. I don't like this guy. Are you sure I need to be courteous to him? And Paul's answer is, yes, because that was you. You were once exactly like that. All those things that are annoying you, that are grating on you, they were yours too. And that's not how God treated you. Verse 4, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. The reason we ought to be ready to do good works and to serve others is because that is what God has done for us. When we were unlovable, God showed us love. 
And I love how clear Paul makes this. It's not because of anything we had done, right? He, he just plainly states it's not because God did anything, or it's not, whoa, <laughs> it's not because we had done anything. It's because God did do something. That is why we were saved. It was all to do with His mercy, not our worthiness. Our salvation is entirely dependent on God's initiative. He's the one who started this. When God revealed His goodness and loving kindness to us, Paul's talking there about the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the one who reveals the Father, who shows us what it looks like to follow after Him. But Paul isn't done yet, right? He is just continuing on in this sort of flourish. It's as if he's, he's got this song in his mind as he's starting to write, and we get continually on verse, well, halfway through verse 5. He says, this happens, we were saved by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He, God, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, right? He packs so much into this little verse. But what he's saying here is that our salvation comes to us by a work of all of the Trinity. In fact, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in our salvation. They're working in this beautiful harmony together to work out a salvation for us. God directs and leads this process. The Holy Spirit applies it into our life because of what Jesus has done. Jesus comes and He actually works out that salvation for us. He's the one who actually did all of those righteous deeds that we didn't. See, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned, we've fallen short of God's standard, but the truth is we don't even need the Bible to tell us that. We've all had those nights where you're staying up late and thinking, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't gone there. Why did that happen again? We understand what that's like. And actually, as we get to know God more and more, we start realizing where those areas of sin actually have been. We, we've rejected God. We haven't obeyed Him. We haven't even agreed that He exists. We ignore His commands. We mock others who are in His image. We've caused hurt and pain. Sometimes it's unintentional, but sometimes we've meant it. And all of our sins have stacked up against us, and the truth is we aren't able to pay for any of them. And so Jesus then steps in. The Father sends Jesus to live as God Himself, to teach us what it looks like to follow Him, but then so that we could be forgiven. Jesus dies in our place so that we might be made right with God. He took the punishment for our crimes in our place, and instead we are given His perfect sinless record. Right? It's as if God came and paid our debts. But instead of just simply settling our, our credit card bill or settling our mortgage, He actually flipped it and said, not only am I going to deal with the debt, I'm giving you my bank account. See, that's really what's going on in Jesus. It's not just that it's a neutral position. Actually, we get all that Jesus had. Everything that was of Jesus is now given to us. And so when God looks at us, it's not all of our sin, all of our stain, all of our mistakes. It's Jesus that He sees. 
See, that is what it means to be saved, to actually be made right with God. We are made as right as Jesus Himself. We are given His record. See, that's why Paul says it wasn't about what we did. We didn't do anything. It was all about God. In the book of Philippians, Paul puts it this way. He says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We praise Jesus for what He's done. It's all about Him. And Jesus gives glory to the Father who sent Him. It's not about us. It's not about how good we are or were. In fact, Paul goes on to say, this wasn't even applied to you by yourself. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit who came and changed you, renewed you, made you into a new creation, right? Second Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, the Holy Spirit actually is the one who works in our heart to make us believe, make us follow after God, to change our hearts so that we would actually long to be obedient to Him, not because we had done it, but because God had done it. And Paul just continues on. He says, that's not even the end. That's not even the good part yet. Go on, verse 7, he says, so that being justified that is made right with God, by His grace, by a free gift, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The result of what God had done is that we would actually become heirs. No longer strangers with God, now we are His heirs. We are going to inherit eternal life as family with God. In fact, that's what this is leading towards. It's the joy of heaven, of eternal life with Him. The end result of our salvation is eternal joy, brought into the family of God forever, so that for all of eternity we might say, to God be the glory because He did all of this. It was from Him and by Him and to Him. You might say, okay, but, but what about our role? What, what are we supposed to be doing here? Surely we ought to do something. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says, actually, we have been crafted, we have been created, we have been meticulously put together as this new creation in Jesus Christ, and God has given us a purpose. It's not just that we would wait around until heaven. It's not as if all we need to do is sit on the couch and wait Actually, God has given us a reason to continue on. He says, I have created you for these good works which I have prepared for you. You have been saved unto good works. God has a plan for us here and now. And see, that's really our, our final point here this morning. The church is to be ready for good works. We are to be prepared for what God has planned for us. 
See, I think a lot of times we hear this kind of thing, and especially if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard this idea that, you know what, the gospel should make us willing to work, and, and we, we say, yes, but, but I don't totally get it. Yes, I, I see what you're saying, but how do those two things connect? Let me give you three reasons why, three reasons why the gospel is connected with our good works. And actually, we don't even have to leave this book. Paul has been talking about it again and again in the book of Titus, and so we don't really need to go very far. The first reason, one, it, it confirms your faith. Right? Jesus uses the language of trees bearing fruit. How do you know what kind of tree it is? You look at the fruit on its branches. How do you know what a person believes? You look at the fruit of their life, right? In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Paul is talking about false teachers, and this is what he says. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by, his work, by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. How do you tell a false teacher? You watch his life. You look at the conduct of how he lives out his faith, and you're going to see it. Again, in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. Paul links these two things together. What you believe and what you do are intimately related. Our works show whether or not we really know God. I don't know if you've ever heard the example that if you want to know what you really value, look at your bank account right? Look at the things you're willing to spend money on. That's going to show you where your heart really is. Well, it's the same thing with our spiritual life. You want to know what you really believe? Look at the works of your life. Look at the things you spend your time on, your energy on, you plan ahead for. What does your life show? Good works is faith made visible. So the first reason that we work these things, that we devote ourselves to good works, is actually because it reveals to ourselves and to others what we believe. Second reason is because it actually gives glory to God. Again, Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 14, he says about Jesus, He is the one who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works, right? We pursue after these good works. Why? To show the One who has redeemed us. We are zealous after these good things. Why? Because it's Jesus who has done all of this for us. It's not about showing how good we are, it's not about just showing, hey, here, look at my life. It's saying, look at what God has done. Let me show you what the character of God is really like. Can, can, can I show you what His goodness, His kindness, His love, His mercy, and His grace is like? Here, let me show it to you in just a small way. Let me reveal to you what the goodness of God looks like. See, that's what Paul is saying. You ought to do that. Why? Because it reveals God so that He might be glorified because it wasn't about you. You didn't do anything. You didn't save yourself. So let's show who God is. Don't, don't bring more attention to yourself. Rather, let all attention and praise be given to God. 
So why, why does the gospel make us ready to do good works? One, it confirms our faith. Two, we give glory to God. And three, because it's ultimately for our good. Ultimately, it's going to be for our good. See, at the end of the letter, Paul says this. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfaithful. Why should we devote ourselves to good works? Ultimately, it's going to be for our benefit. It's going to be to meet the needs of those around us. And, and the crazy sort of up to upside down ethic of the church is to say, if you want your needs met, give it all away. Give everything you've got to serve one another. And when that happens, guess what? Your needs will be met. Give more that you can. Give all that you can so that actually you will be blessed in return. Ultimately, it's for our good. Paul says in verse 8 of our passage, he says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What's the reason that Paul has here for why we ought to? Those who are already saved, those who already believe in Jesus, why should they do good works? Because it is for their good. It will be excellent and profitable for them. You will have greater gain in giving, spending your life away than you ever could trying to hoard it for yourself. There's greater joy in following after God than trying to simply pursue all your own passions on your own. That to pursue after obedience to God actually leads to our greatest joy. See, that's the message of the gospel. It's not that we're going to have a life without pain or difficulty or suffering or hardship. No, no, we're going to have all of those. But we are going to have a joy that supersedes and surpasses all of them together. In fact, the joy that is given in heaven of eternity with God shall far outstrip everything that this world holds back. It is far more excellent to devote yourself to good works because of what God has done for you. The gospel makes us ready for good works because it shows our faith, it gives glory to God, and ultimately it is for our good and our joy. So then, church, are we prepared? Are you ready to follow after what God has for us, to walk in obedience, pursue after these good works? See, Paul calls Titus right there in verse 8. He says, remind them, insist upon it, call them to carefully devote themselves to these things. So I would be failing in my service if I did not do exactly that, if I did not ask, how are you getting ready? See, I think sometimes we have this attitude that says, well, you know what, I, I'll be engaged as soon as something comes along. As soon as someone needs help, sure, I'll, I'll help them, right? As soon as, you know, an opportunity comes up to volunteer, sure, I'll, I'll check my schedule, I'll see if it works. As soon as there's an opportunity to share my faith, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get in there, as soon as an encouraging thought enters my mind, I, I'll share it. 
we often think of our readiness as very passive, don't we? As if it is simply to sit back and say, well, I will be ready, right? Imagine if someone said that when you're going to go play hockey. You ready to go play hockey? Yep. I just need skates, a stick, a helmet, pads, uh, a car, and a way to get there. You're not ready. You're not ready. You've just been sitting back. See, I think so often that's how we have approached these things. So often we've been sitting back and saying, well, when the time comes, I, I, I can do something. Actually, the call is to carefully devote yourself unto good works. It means actually, instead of waiting for someone to cry for help, it's seeking them out and seeing how we can help. Instead of waiting on the couch for a chance to share your faith, it's actually going out and seeing people being around them saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to join a gym, I'm going to go to a class, I'm going to invite a coworker out for coffee so that I could actually have an opportunity to share my faith with others. Instead of waiting for some encouraging thought to cross your mind, actually spend time, think about others, see what God is doing in their life and find a way to encourage them. Instead of looking at your schedule and saying, well, I don't know, maybe I can fit something in to actually plan, reserve time. This is time given so that I can serve God. See, that's what being ready looks like. Look, I know my schedule is as crazy as all of yours. And I don't stand here as a, as a perfect person who can say, you know, I do this perfectly all the time. No, I don't. But what I am saying is that it ultimately will be for the best that there is so much great gain to be had in following after that the struggle is going to be worth it. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, every time I try and do good, he says, it's almost a law that as soon as I try, evil comes close at hand. And there's always a good reason not to do it. There's always a reason to say, no, I don't have time right now. I don't have the ability, whatever it is, yet I am going to say, I'm not calling you to what's easy. I'm calling you to what is best, to follow after God, to be ready to serve Him in wherever He calls us to go, make preparations to find a way to serve Him, to engage in those good works. So this morning as we close... We invite the worship team, if I can get Cody and Kelly, come back. I want to read Psalm 107. This is a psalm about the people of Israel and actually their response to what God has done. This is what it says. It says, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of uh, their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Ought that not also to be our response? To tell others of the great things that God has done. To offer up a sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving, of wonderful uh, glory to God our Savior. For all that He has done. 
This morning, I want to ask, would you get ready? Would you cry out to God who hears us in our distress, who has saved us? Would we ready ourselves for the good works that He has prepared? Let us showcase our faith, give Him glory, ultimately for our great gain. Let us praise Him and thank Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much. Lord, we thank You so much for all that You have done. Lord, when we were so far away, You have called us to Yourself. Lord, would we never turn away from You? Would we rather hear Your calling and respond and obey? Would our, would our hearts long to be obedient to You, to follow after all that You have done? Lord, we ask these things. Would you train, change us, transform us, give us your Holy Spirit that we would follow in obedience to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.